This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. Sir, you are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to have an attorney present during questioning. Yeah, I understand. I understand the rights. I know this is bullshit, though, man. I got thrown out of a fucking window. Please get in the car, sir. Yeah, but tell me, sir, what's the charge? Possession of a concealed weapon disturbing the peace. Disturbing the peace? I got thrown out of a window. What's the fucking charge for getting pushed out of a moving car, huh? Jaywalking? I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen, buddy, murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original sin. So let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Just for the hell of it. Just for the hell of it. Hello and welcome to another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of the Tailgate Society. And brought to you by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best damn barbecue sauce in the known universe. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing this evening? We're raining threes. It's the women's game tonight. We're raining threes right now. Holy cow, have they been hitting them hard. It's been fun to see. Everyone's kind of getting into the action actually early. A little bit of everyone was hitting that in that first quarter. So that was fun. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, it's a good night. It's getting warmer. It's getting nicer out. Getting closer to summer. Hopefully, it's been nice for you. It was a little chilly. I mean, I say a little chilly. It's Minnesota chilly. It's still in the in the forties. Uh, but uh, it, it rained all day long. I, I went for a walk and, and got plenty drenched. But you know, happy to still have not snow on the ground. Which, you know, I think you guys actually got more snow this year than I think we did. So uh, I, I'm I would know I had a snow this year, so I didn't really notice. It seemed like a <laughs> it seemed like a gem for me this year. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I excited to talk to our guests tonight. I think we're going to have a good one. Uh, but Chris, I will go ahead and let you introduce our guests for this evening. Well, tonight uh, we have the honor of talking to uh, Des Moines Power Couple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Heather Burnside from KXNO uh, Morning Rush and uh, Sergeant Paul Parizic, uh Des Moines police officer and uh, overall uh, TV star, unfortunately, on some aspects. But uh, we appreciate you guys coming on. We thought we'd bring you on, talk life, talk uh, radio, and uh, give you guys a forum to shoot the shit. How's it going? Good. How are you? We're doing good. Doing well. This is weird to be on the other end. You know, Chris calls the show occasionally. He yeah, called the other occasionally. Day. I was going to say, Chris, I understand that you called to talk about uh, leather or like uh, Letterman jackets. Dude, yeah. that's the, it's the worst looking Letterman jacket you've ever seen <laughs> in your entire life. Chris, when you tweeted the picture, I was so disappointed that it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. It's bad. Well, I think because it was missing any well, type of like accoutrement, any type of like. It's got a letter on it. I got a letter. 
Is it for for actual physical activity too? By the way, not academics. <laughs> I would like to point out because apparently that's frowned upon by Sean Roberts. You can't get an academic letter, which I was never in danger of getting one of those anyway. So yeah, no, we've covered yeah, that on the me. pod. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. No, it was it's terrible looking. Listen, imagine already being a fat kid in high school with no chance of getting a date. And then you walk into school with that jacket on and it's completely different from everybody else's. Like there was no shot whatsoever for me. It was, it was, it was brutal. Well, well, Chris, I was, I was a Wilton beaver, uh, a, a, a <laughs> graduate of Wilton high school, in Wilton, Iowa. We were the beavers. So there was no exact like pride that you ever had on wearing a letterman jacket. No, I don't imagine. So yeah. And Heather, you're from Osceola, right? Down there? Atumwa. Atumwa. Okay. Wrong O-Town. That's right. Well, the reason I ask is because I have family from down there that apparently are fairly uh, well-known and some Hellraisers, and that would be the Hill family. Are you familiar with them? Leonard and... or Atumwa? Atumwa. Yeah. Um, I might have known some Hellraisers at one point. The name Hill is not ringing a bell. Oh, well, then, dad knows who they are. Yeah, I, like I'm they. probably Leonard and Gordy Hill. If you get a chance, that they were apparently uh, fairly large, six seven, six eight, drinking Hellraisers is what I was told. Okay, uh, her uncle Paul knows them. For yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's a big dude himself. <laughs> so crazy. Well, listen, I thought we'd bring you guys on, and. Uh, just talk about how you guys uh, got into your careers and things like that. And um, first I'd like to start off by saying to you, Paul, um, I'm sure you hear this all the time and you probably hear a lot of bad stuff too, but we appreciate everything that you do for us. And and I will say your segments on KXNO for ask five Oh anything for me has been a nice opportunity to learn your guys' side and some of the things that you go through. So, um, I appreciate that. That's got to be hard to do. Um, but I, I just wanted to, to give you props for that. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I think, uh, I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit more in depth about this later as we go into it, but uh, it's probably been one of the best things for our organization as far as having a forum where we can speak frankly, um, get a little deeper into the weeds than we can in maybe 90 seconds on a TV news story. And, um, you know, combat, you know, some of the bias that you might see in print or online and social media, just to get, just so, like you said, everybody has the information that they need to make a good informed decision about what's going on in their community. Yeah, I, I think transparency is probably one of those things that is, is maybe lacking in a lot of those situations otherwise. And so it's good to be able to have. Uh, it's, I'll tell you, transparency, it, it's hard to come by yeah. because you don't always get the platform to be as transparent as you'd like because yep. You're not, you're not editing a story. Um, radio gives us that opportunity to, to just talk. Um, a podcast like this gives us the opportunity to, to just talk. And then folks can go back and, and insert that into everything else they're hearing and hopefully, you know, give it some, some pure thought and, and figure out, you know, what's going on. So, Heather, that, that puts you in kind of a unique position too because being married to Paul and obviously being supportive of Paul and so on but also being in the journalistic 
area of your expertise, I would imagine that there's sometimes some conflict there for you having friends that are in journalism and so on that maybe you think sometimes, and I'm not saying that you should call anybody out, but there might be times where you think maybe Paul was treated unfairly, even by your colleagues and sometimes your friends. Well, believe me when I say that uh, there's been a lot of frustration, especially in the last year with what is being called journalism these days. That's not what I was taught. And granted, it's been a long time ago now, but I, I had a different idea uh, when I left journalism and media law classes as to how I was supposed to conduct my job and, you know, what my job was, which I've always thought is, it's the facts, report the facts, don't have a bias. And yes, all of us may have some sort of inherent bias to it, but it, it, it has been extremely frustrating, especially when I can see his side of the story and I have lived on the other side. I mean, I maybe there was a time when journalists maybe took the police or their sources, you know, they, they just believed them 100% and there was absolutely no skepticism. But you don't counter that by going from believing and reporting everything they say to not believing a word they say or constantly thinking, oh, well, there's got to be a, you know, they're trying to hide something. There's got to be a lie behind that. I, you can say a lot of things that you want to say about my husband, but he is not a liar. He is truthful and honest and is doing an incredibly difficult job under any circumstances, but especially in the past. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, in the past year has been rough, but he was only on the job for a couple of months when a couple officers died in a wrong way, drunk driving accident. He has faced some incredible challenges on the job and I'm extremely proud of him and how he conducts himself. And yes, I can get extremely irritated at what I sometimes feel is unfair treatment by the media. I would also have to imagine there are some times where someone might talk about your husband. And you're like, wait, no, only I get to talk about him in that, that type of <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. <laughs> if only it were that easy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you listen to the show like that. I know we're, we're close with Chris, but. She doesn't have much of an easy button when she starts going off. You know, not, <laughs> the best no part of the show. <laughs> it's one of the best parts of the show. Yeah. No <laughs> well, and when that, I listen again, I you're a better man than I am because if some dude called up my wife and called her a liberal and started trashing her, I, it would be hard for me not to tell him to go f off. I mean, I realize there's rules on radio, but right. uh, that that. That, that would be extremely hard. So again, that's part of, I think, the challenge for you guys is being so public with who you are in your relationship and so on. And I know you guys kind of, Heather, you were a little secretive about that at the beginning, right? Oh, if that I was even with him? Right, well, yeah. Well, part of it was because of what he was doing. And then, right. but, you know, once you realize you're in it, in it to win it. Yeah in it forever <laughs> of course we're not gonna keep that under wraps forever so i was more than happy and proud to to be able to come out and say exactly who it is that i was dating and engaged to and then you know eventually getting married to but yeah i i, I sometimes 
it, it can be hard, you guys, trying to figure out what I am. Am I this flaming liberal that, or am I, you know, some sort of propaganda pusher that's, you know, just <laughs> totally pro police? Will somebody just tell me what I am? Right. I, I don't know that both of those are on the same side. Well, right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure not so plenty sure. of people will, will be happy to tell you what you are. I don't know that any <laughs> of that is going to be true, but I feel like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Well, I can tell you what I proudly am, and that is uh, Paul's wife, radio host. I guess anything else that you want to put on me as a label, it's up to you. Stepmom. Thank you. Well, that's a I'll that's a good them. that's a good segue. And, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys was. Uh, Tim is, Tim is divorced. I'm, I'm remarried and we both have kids and we talk a lot about our kids here and, and parenting and so on. So not only do you guys mend your family and become, uh, Heather, you become a step parent, but with the public persona that you guys have and so on and how your kids handle all that, talk about your challenges of, of what's, what's one of the hardest things to do as a parent when you're so public out there, Paul, what, what do you think? Um, you know, I think it's, you know, you work really hard not to bring the stress home, Sure. you know, and that, and that doesn't matter what kind of job you have, whether it's public or private, or if you're, you know, working in a factory, there's stress at work. Um, you know, we've got unique stress and you, you try not to bring it home, but at the same time, you know, uh, um, our twins are 12. So they're at that age where they're, they're going to see the news and they're going to hear some things. Um, they might hear friends talk. Uh, they're in junior high school. You might have somebody that's, you know, great ahead of them. That's maybe a little deeper into social media. So you, you want to make sure that you give them just enough information so that they're not caught off guard or surprised if they hear somebody calling their dad names. Um, but not enough that they feel like they have to carry that burden and, and feel like they need to defend you. I was having a conversation with um, our daughter oh, probably two months ago when there, there was a lot of social media stuff going on and just, you know, the, the bagging on the police. And we were just talking about it as we were going out on a Sunday morning to get donuts. And she had said, um, you know, I, I want so bad to have a speech so that I can tell everybody exactly what kind of person you are because they don't know who they're talking about. And it, you know, for a split second there, you know, that's heartwarming and you got tears in your eyes and, right. and it makes you feel really good. But at the same time, you're like, man, I don't want you to worry about that. I want you to be 12, you know, right. let's go, let's go pick out some donuts and go home and wake everybody up. It's um, so it, that's one of the things you, you want to make sure that they have an awareness, but um, you know, as Heather was talking about some of the cha changes that she's seen in journalism, as she was saying that I just kept thinking, Ethics are ethics. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Um, not going to there's not much that's going to change right and wrong. And as long as you spend the time to make sure your kids understand that, um, I think that gives you the, the foundation to build off of. Yeah, I've, I've said it several times on this podcast. My dad always used the phrase doing the right thing isn't always easy and doing the easy thing isn't always right. You know, and yeah, that, you know, that goes that goes to your daughter. You know, I, yeah, you. In inside, you feel good because she wants to defend you and she wants to stand up for you. But the right thing for her to do is to just be a kid and just be your and just be your daughter, and not have to fight your battles for you. Right. And that's really hard for them. And it is. And it, I mean, it's even it's hard for them when they're just doing their own thing on under normal circumstances. Right. Yeah, I remember yeah. 
you know, just the challenges to be a kid when I was that age, you know, and we didn't have all that interference and distraction and just things coming at you from 10 different directions. You know, you were talking about what your dad had said. Um, I don't know if you know PJ Headington, who uh, is a assistant coach with Drake football, sure. but just out of the blue today, he just tweeted out being a good teammate could be uncomfortable. And I, I saw that and I thought, man, I'm, they need to hear that in my building. Mm. You know, yeah. we, we talk about accountability and um, so yeah, great minds think alike. Well, and, and Paul, I appreciate that you say that. I think, you know, one of the, the things that has been a, a struggle. So I'm up here in Minneapolis and, and, you know, big elephant in the room. We're going through a pretty significant challenge in our city right now. Sure. And, and I think one of the things that, that I know a lot of the, the uh, good officers on the force have, have talked about is, is that exact idea of, of the being a good teammate, you know, isn't easy or comfortable. It's, it's that there might be some people with some issues and some problems that they're working side by side with, but they also feel accountable, not just for, uh, their coworkers, but just for the representation of the force as a whole, right? So I think, uh, I think it's not an easy place to be in for anyone that has to feel like they, um, they have to to have some tough conversations with people. I I I don't know, I I don't know how you handle that. Do you have any thoughts? Um, I, I think it starts, well, at least from a policing perspective from, from our organization, you know, it, it starts from the beginning. As soon as somebody walks in that door, you're, I don't want to say indoctrinate, but you are impressing upon them what our culture is mm-hmm. and you have to start there. Now you take a, a couple steps back and that hope that in the, during the hiring process, we are identifying, um, the folks that are going to be open to that. You know, we don't want to bring in people who are so stuck in their ways um, that they're not going to be, their minds aren't in the right place when it comes to learning new things. Um, again, knowing right from wrong is going to make a big difference there, but, uh, it, it's not only just policy, it's, it's the culture. Um, and I can, I'll walk it back, you know, decades ago when I was a young cop, um, you know, I remember having a conversation with a captain who just straight up asked me if I had rocks in my head. You know, and I was like, <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he's like, you ever do that again, man, you're going to have problems. Well, we want to make sure that as we build our team, um, starting in the academy, that people are expected to, to hold each other up mm-hmm. and they're expected to, to hold each other accountable. And, you know, when it's just like in your family, when, when you have something that matters to you and you have something that means a lot to you, it's, it's a lot less um likely that you're going to do something to disappoint them. Sure. Um, you're going to make mistakes, man. I mean, it, it happens in our business. This is one thing that was really uh, irritating to me. Uh, the Jim, the caller that wants to call in and basically harass my husband every week on Ask 5.0. There was basically a situation with some of the video that came out during Andrea Sahori's trial where a police officer saw a fellow police officer make a mistake or do something wrong and basically, you know, got in that officer's face to just say, Hey, I saw you do that. That's not how we do things. And 
you know, tried to correct him. By the time Jim's calling in, he was basically assaulting a fellow police officer on video. You know, what, what are you supposed to do? What, you know, the, the culture is you see something, you say something, you want to right or wrong or, you know, tell a fellow officer they were wrong, you do it. And then the next thing you know, it's basically turned into some sort of confrontation that, with all these negative connotations to it. You just can't right. win in some circumstances. Yeah, well, I mean, it, I, yeah. I, think, I think that's something that's that's really important is that if you want a, a culture that is going to hold each other accountable, if you really want to say, hey, if people think you know there are issues within the culture of a police force, you need to allow for lack of a better term, the good apples to kind of help hold the other apples accountable, right? Like you want people to, to, to do that. So it shouldn't be like, Oh, there's all this infighting. It's no, it's, Hey, we have a standard to uphold and we're holding each other accountable to that. And sure. That's, that, that's a know, I, thing. Chris, I don't know if you, have you heard Jim when he calls in and talks about this? Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. So um, at some point I, I'm sure, if the video is floating around somewhere, but it, if you watch it, um, it, it is an officer stepping up and trying to hold someone else accountable for something that he didn't think was timed right or was appropriate for the, the circumstances. doesn't mean that that cop was wrong, but it, to keep it, I, I want to go back to, I know we're not on KX and O, but I want to drive it That's back all right. to sports, sports analogy in that it, it, it's definitely something that happens a lot. Um, when we, we are talking to each other, it might be something that other people or that people are more comfortable with seeing happen in a locker room yeah. or what, yeah. one of those conversations that we have, you know, sitting in roll call. I, I'm not kidding. I, I mean, our culture has changed a lot, but I know there were times early on in my career where I walked into a room just to see a chair flying across the room as two guys were, you know, debating something that one of them screwed up and now they're not thumping on each other, but you know, it's sometimes our, our pressure relief valve is our mouth, you know, and we work in an, uh, an industry where, you know, you're physical, you know, at times. And uh, so how we perceive that sometimes is a is a lot different than how somebody who, on the outside looking in. Um, he didn't assault anybody, but definitely a conversation to the locker room. Yeah, no, we I, just had I, we just had Marcus Pfizer on and, and oh, yeah, he, you know, right. And he talked a lot about the way Larry Stacy coached right, wrong or indifferent, you know, you can have all your opinions on Larry. But we were we group. bothered by his coaching as much or his partying? Oh, wait a minute. It was well, kind of both. Well, it was probably it? Yeah. a little bit. I was more both. upset that he was drinking non-alcoholic beer in that press conference when he, <laughs> on his front yard. I mean, if you're, yeah. I don't know who you're fooling with that. But uh, yeah, no, but the, the reality is, is, you know, a lot of those guys uh, certainly held each other accountable and Larry held each other accountable and maybe they're not all holding each other accountable in the right way. But I do appreciate the sports analogy that it's about, especially because uh, you guys have uh, a certain amount of discretion with which you can address a situation. Right. Sure. Uh, and, and, and sometimes uh, the letter of the law way to address something and the reality of the situation and understanding how they're not always a hundred percent in sync. Right. Is that a right. fair thing to say? And yeah. And so, you know, it, go ahead. No, no. I, I was just going to say that, but you know, it, 
sometimes you guys have to uh, help each other understand uh, the spirit of what you're trying to do in serving. That's protecting. exactly what I was just going to say. You know, we, we talk about that a lot. And it's something I learned as a young cop that the letter of the law and the spirit of the law are two different things. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with people and we're people dealing with people. So, you know, that that's, there's more spirit uh, that, that comes into play sometimes than the letter of law. Yeah. Can, can I write you a ticket? Can I take you to jail? Sure. Is that going to solve the problem? Is that going to make it worse? Um, is that going to do anything? I mean, that's, that's helpful for a, a situation. Um, there are times when that's the absolute right solution, but there's other times when you put a little bit of creative thinking or a little bit of compassion and a little bit of maybe a little longer effort into something, you're going to leave an impression on somebody that's going to be lasting and right. you're not going to be back in that situation. Right. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's definitely. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because as you were talking, that's exactly where I was going to go. Is that the spirit of the law? Now, I'll tell you one thing that scares us about what it looks like with the future of policing. If if people don't start getting their heads screwed on straight, is that there's this demand for us to be perfect in our decision making, in our action, under some super dynamic circumstances, um, spontaneous events, and I, I maybe Chris has heard me say this on the show before, but I tell our cops all the time that perfection is not an it's not an attainable goal every day, but excellence is, and you can work to be excellent every single day. Um, that's more rational, that's more reasonable because as you start putting this demand and this expectation that we aren't going to make mistakes or that we can't make mistakes, um, you're going to turn cops into robots where we're not going to get creative in our problem solving. And we're not going to, I mean, it's gone from, I remember as a young cop, you see somebody needs a little bit of help. Uh, Hey man, let me, I'll give you a ride. Here's five or 10 bucks, or let me put some gas in your car. And now you're worried about being accountable for things like that. You know, I I gave a guy a lift and next thing you know, somebody said I took $20 out of their wallet. I mean, it's, I charged them for the ride. They're just, so many things that we need to be conscientious of now that I, I didn't worry about as a young street cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will say that um, for me, when you guys, when I see something come across the news or a video that's now out there on Twitter of a situation that's happened or whatever, um, it's hard for me to not react to that initially but then I think to myself, I remember, and not just because you and I are friends or I'm friends with, uh, and I'm, I'm very good friends with Dick Glade, who's a retired police officer, Jeff Phillips, yeah, me men like that, who I, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Dick told me to tell you, say hi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but honorable men that, that I admire and that I know, and I know that those, those guys and you are probably more sick than anybody else that there's a bad cop out there sometimes. So there's somebody oh, yeah. out there that, you know what I mean? That's nobody, nobody hates it more than you and, 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 and that, and the guys that are trying to do it right. And then when you hear calls for like over the summer of people being removed from their jobs or whatever, is that really what we want? Do we want the honorable guys that are going to stand up and try to make it right and fix the, the what's wrong to leave? Because when you, when those guys start to leave, what do we got left? You know, you're right. And you and you don't want that to happen because who's going to replace them? You also don't want to create this this environment where 
the, the next guy, you know, I'm going to retire. Um, you know, one of our cops right now is taking a lot of heat that he's not deserving, but one of these days he's going to retire. And right now he's, he's an exceptional cop. He's in a fantastic position. Um, but you think anybody wants my job in my building right now? Right. <laughs> not a soul. And, uh, but it's, and, and you talk about bad apples, you know, I can't say that I, I know there are bad apples or crooked cops in my building. I can tell you just from my experience sitting around the adult table and being around there for a long time that uh, there are there are people in that building that should be looking over their shoulder because if there's an opportunity to terminate them, it's going to happen. Um, I think everybody knows somebody like that in their organization. Right. Um, it's just, you know, you've got to do it right. It's just like every other thing that we do. You got to do it right the first time because you may not get a, a second chance. Right. I, yeah. I always relate it to that. Everybody, everybody's job and everybody's work environment has somebody that's subpar, right? Or is maybe not as good at their job as, as what they could be. And unfortunately, you guys are just in, an, in, in a job that the margin of error is so slim that that is is hard to, to handle, right? So there's a lot of coaching, a lot of training and so on that goes into it. And you'll get there. People will get there if their heart is right and they want to do the right thing. Yep, absolutely. Well, and here's something else that this, uh, you know, raging liberal is going to say. <laughs> my favorite be... version of Heather. <laughs> yeah, no. I can, I can be you see my Twitter feed. I'm, I'm pretty liberal. <laughs> raging liberal, uh, proud Democrat that is completely against any sort of messaging that even vaguely says anything about defunding the police. That is a losing message that is not doable in a functioning society. I am so sick of hearing it. I, we have to listen to those city council meetings every Monday night and a nonstop litany of people that just talk about how a terrorist organization the Des Moines Police Department is and how they need to be defunded immediately. And I think, you know what? Be careful what you wish for. Right. The, you know, hellscape for me is some sort of apocalypse where there's absolutely no one out there to protect us. So <laughs> when so, things go wrong, no one there to solve crimes when they happen. No one there to do the things that no one else wants to do at three o'clock in the morning when they get the phone call. I'll tell you, you know, when she talked about that defund the police thing, you know, one of the anybody who hears this argument going needs to understand that the first thing to go when you do that are the extras. Um, the first thing you're going to see gone are our, our neighborhood or neighborhood-based uh, service delivery unit, our community outreach programs, um, because those are all extras. And those are things that we picked up along the way. And a lot of those programs we picked up because other organizations um, within the community either couldn't uh, finance it, couldn't sustain it with staffing and just didn't or didn't have the time. So the police department stepped in because we're here 24 seven and that's our mission. So we'll help you out. Um, if you look right now, you know, we, they just, uh, the school district here in Des Moines did not renew their contract with us for school resource officers. I saw that the other day. Well, you know, obviously we feel there's a lot of value in that program, but as soon as they didn't renew that contract, we didn't have an SRO unit anymore. And because we, we had vacancies throughout our department that we automatically filled with those officers. So 
should the school district come knocking today and say, hey, you know what? We changed our minds. We want you back. It, it's going it, to it would take a lot of effort to put that back together because we've used those officers in other spots. So um, it's not like that money. It, all of a sudden, there's no SRE unit. and There's a pile of money in the corner. That's not how it works. Um, no, so, I, th- yeah. I think I think that's that's a really good point. And I think there's something that, that gets lost a lot is that. Uh, I was talking to someone earlier today and we were talking about something that seemed to not make sense. And I said it, well, if it made sense, would it be government was probably <laughs> my first part. Um, <laughs> um, but the other part was, you know, that fund allocation and, and how that goes. Um, but I do have to ask, uh, and Paul, I know you can't speak to other police departments. You can speak to the Des Moines Police Department. Uh, you know, but when I look at like the Minneapolis Police Department and some of the challenges where we might have, where there are a lot of times where there might be a mentally disturbed individual, or maybe sending an you know a couple of armed police officers to to resolve that situation versus some other type of of professional uh, to help resolve that situation. Are there other solutions maybe that aren't on defund the police, but are there other ways that we can take those tax dollars and push them to something else? Uh, and again, I'm asking to speak outside of the, of, of the Des Moines system or whatever, but are, are there other alternatives maybe that, that, that people could come up with for some of those situations? And I don't, I don't know. I know you guys do a good job of addressing the situations no one else is, is ready to address or wanting to address or available to address. Right. But are there other alternatives? I, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There, there absolutely are. Um, you know, I'll talk about how we run some of our operations, particularly when you're talking about mental health. Um, it was probably 20 years ago. We, we started a mobile crisis unit and what that is, is we've got all of our cops get uh, crisis intervention training, which is, I, I want to say it's a little over a week in the academy, and then we have annual refresher, but it's about how you deal with folks who are in a mental health crisis, um, substance abuse issues, uh, maybe the dual diagnosis that comes with that, um, but we've expanded it over the years to where we actually have mental health professionals um, that respond to those calls with us. Now, this is something that you've seen a lot of agencies around the nation say, hey, we've got this new idea. We're going to have, you know, these de-escalation teams or we're going to have social workers or nurses, whatever the case may be, start taking these calls. Well, we've been doing it Mm -hmm. and uh, we've been doing it for decades and it works really, really well. Um, One, we get to have a great relationship with those folks. Um, And, you know, a lot of these clients that we come across in those situations are repeat. Um, Now, there's things that they won't get involved in. Uh, They don't get involved in negotiations, uh, like if we've had a suicidal person or a barricaded subject. Um, That's what our negotiators do. But they come in tremendously handy, particularly when you start getting into uh, specialty areas like adolescent uh, mental health issues or um, elderly mental health issues. Um, it, it's nice to have them there. So that works really, really well for us. Now, some of the other resources where you could definitely see some of that, uh, maybe not our funding going, but some more tax dollars going, are the things that could prevent um, the people who use those services from needing them in the first place. Sure. Um, I spent, 
uh, probably, I think it was close to 12 years as a younger man, um, working at the, the Polk County Hospital, it's, uh, the name Broadlands. Mm-hmm. And they, their purpose was to serve the underserved. And as you saw, um, yeah, I could go on forever about pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies. And I, I get to sound a little bit by, like a conspiracy theorist. But as you saw, managed care and those types of things stepping in, um, there are layers upon layers of things in our, our society now related to healthcare that are set up to keep people away from doctors. And that doesn't always work out well when you're someone who is struggling to uh, maintain a regimen that's going to keep them healthy. Um, It's one thing if you're healthy and you get sick. It's another one if you have to have uh, a a regimen of medication or, you know, therapy or just self-help behavioral things to keep to keep you healthy. And we, we don't do a real good job, I think, as a society on the front side. Of, of keeping people um, healthy in terms of mental health issues that, that where they don't come into conflict with the police or don't need the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's something that has probably been a, a touch point for us here in, in Minneapolis is trying to figure out. And, and I think that's why you hear a lot of the, the defund the police rhetoric. And I don't know, uh, that everyone necessarily has the full scope of that. But I think what people are feeling is that there are ways that we can be addressing this and we have not necessarily allocated the dollars in the right place to do it. I think the, the result of that becomes uh, this hyperbolic rhetoric that isn't really getting uh to really addressing that, but I think the the need and the the desire to to address those situations is out there, but but it's not necessarily formed to, into a coherent strategy. Uh, it, it's it, it's causing some some I think some needed some challenging conversations for sure, uh, and so it's good to hear that perspective that you know that you that you guys acknowledge that there are other ways that we need to be addressing these things. Uh, because sure. It feels like it's just an all or none strategy in so many other ways. Uh, yeah. It, you're right. And that doesn't work. Yeah. And, and this is more like, you know, stop with the defund the police and reimagine the police or, you know, think of new ways, but don't sit there and say, Oh, it's, you know, all or nothing. Yeah. Well, right. and, no, I, I all think or nothing that, doesn't work. Yeah. And no. I think, I think that's great. And I think I, I think a lot of people in their in their heart of hearts, I think that's what they want to say, but their their gut reaction is defund the police. But I think I think where well, they're where they're where they what they're getting at is let's find alternative ways to do this. But just because it's become an all or none type of zero sum game, then the the rhetoric has, has gotten out of hand and misguided in, in many ways. So it's, it's absolutely very refreshing to hear this, this idea of alternative (laughs) solutions. I I think the part of the problem is, is that both extremes, whatever it is, the extreme of, of the people that are screaming to eye heaven, that we should defund the police and so on. And then the full extreme that, that there is Antifa and so on and, and whatever the media only inflames those two extremes because that's driving ratings. 
Yeah, the Heather, common sense folks that are everybody in the middle. Yeah, Heather, it's all your Heather, fault. Heather, you right? evil media people. <laughs> really, Let's add one more label. Right? <laughs> Whatever. When it's uh, convenient, I'm the raging liberal. <laughs> I work for a conservative media empire <laughs> that, you know, gave birth to Rush Limbaugh. I, I don't know. I, just but let it, me know. But those two hour it is. That's that's where their money is generated is from whipping up the extreme instead of focusing on the majority of the people that have common sense that want to sit down and have a discussion about, okay, no, I don't want to defund the entire police, but what about this particular program? How can we enhance this to make it better with the tax dollars that we have so that we have a better funded program and something that's more more I'm trying to think of the word more successful. Right. Sure. That's and but nobody wants to that, that doesn't sell newspapers and that doesn't get clicks on the Internet and and, and everything else. I mean, regardless of what genre of the of the media that you watch, they drive it a certain way to make you to, to engage you. And you have to be smart enough to rise above that and see both sides. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and they also, don't. it also takes people like Paul using results-oriented language, right? Like at the end of the day, our focus is on better results for the community. Right. And if we yeah. can all talk about it in those terms, I, which is difficult to do, and it, it does require both sides of, of, of the fence. And I, I even hate to say both sides because I always hate talking about these things in these polar type of terms. But yeah, it, 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 there, there are times when you, you, you want to try to avoid that. Um, I guess having that perspective or at least presenting that perspective, because it does sound like you're in opposition, but I want to talk about something that Chris mentioned as he was talking about. Uh, um, I've said this before on Heather's show, you, you can't ever forget. And I, I tell our cops that when they keep, you know, regurgitate the media starts regurgitating a story that, you know, is either half truth, not right, or just it seems inflammatory that they're a for-profit industry and they, that's the bottom line with them. Now, I think that that has gotten to the point where it, it's with bigger corporations, it's worse. And and here's where I, I, I see some similarities into sometimes when we're working cases. Um, we ran uh, a few months ago, we ran an operation here in Des Moines uh, that had been a, a year over a year long investigation. Um, we started it, it, it rolled into getting some federal resources assigned to it. And one morning we had about 500 cops in town and we did uh, like about 50 search warrants and made a lot of arrests, got a lot of drugs, took almost 40 guns off the street. And these were out of the hands of bad dudes. This, this wasn't some us going out there and squashing uh, people's Second Amendment rights. These were bad dudes. Um, I want to get up and I want to scream and yell and I want to tell this story because the folks in our city want to know what's happening. When you're working with the feds, they don't talk a lot. Mm -hmm. Their press releases are gray, um, vague. They, they have a different set of rules for when it comes to federal court. And it, it's now I, I love working with them and, and we got a great relationship, but I've said this to them too. I get frustrated because really, truly that big federal organization, as much as we're all one nation, they don't have an investment in Des Moines. They're not going to go home and their neighbors go, Paul, what the hell was going on? 
you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I'll tell you about it. Or the news comes over and wants to talk about it. So when we start talking about the who's truly invested in what's going on in our neighborhoods, um, I think as the media has become more corporate and more, it's either you're going to sink or swim. And we've seen that a lot with the print media as, as newspapers close. It, it their investment isn't so much in what's really going on in the neighborhoods. It's it's getting people stoked up, whatever the issue is. Whether it's there's 48 seconds left in this game and we're down by or we're up by one, which is really what's happening right now in front of us. I don't know if Chris is paying attention, but yeah, yeah it's on. I, it's on yeah, this I, side. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, it's. It's the, you know, you know the, the next police uh, controversy. It's, yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't ever want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I can see where a lack of truly being invested in what's going on outside your front door um, impacts a lot of decisions that are made in that area. So I, I want to ask Heather, as a member of the liberal media elite. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you, do you feel pressure on, on how you really talk about anything? Are, are there, are there influences that, and I don't want you to throw your employer under the bus or anything like that, but, but uh, <laughs> I will okay. say this. It's okay. there are, there are eight listeners and you guys are two of those eight listeners of this podcast. So that's fine. But <laughs> No, I will say this, that as Chris was sitting there saying, and I, I do agree with them, that the extremes on both sides are the ones that that drive the clicks or get you your TV ratings or however, you know, whatever medium you're in, however you measure your success. But what is just ironic to me is I feel like KXNO and the personalities that we have on there are a perfect example especially with the, you know, continued and growing success that we're having as a station after almost getting fired, well, getting fired, fired and then getting brought back. Um, <laughs> That's on my list to talk about, by the way. <laughs> yeah. We'll we get to the, we'll get to the fun stuff here in a little bit. We're proof that there's a demand and an appetite for the middle. Right. Or for, yes. You know, Right. Reasonable discourse. The average Joe, you know, it's got a voice also. There are so plenty I, of times that I, I listen that in the morning. You have to be constantly catering to one extreme or the other. We're the middle. So come join us. There are plenty of times in, in the mornings, Travis will say something and I will think to myself, as soon as he says it, I think, oh man, oh, I don't, I don't know. And then you start to think about what he said and you go, I, I mean, I guess I could see that point of view or whatever, or, you know, he was talking about women's sports today and he's like, I, you know, he says all the time, I, I know nobody's going to like that. I'm going to say this, but it's the truth. Uh, and I, and I think he speaks sometimes a lot to, to what is in the middle and what is unfortunately a, a truthful statement. It's just not very popular. Well, I, I think Chris, you and I even have developed a reputation on, on uh, Twitter as passionately arguing the middle sometimes yes <laughs> i had a whole conversation with a guy today about about gun control and whatever now i don't own a gun i've never owned a gun 
I'm not a guy that should own a gun because I don't know how to properly fire one, store it, whatever. Oh, right. Oh God. I don't want you in charge of any gun. I don't know. No. So, but, but I had a, I had a, I had a nice conversation with somebody that owns guns and I, and I asked him a few questions. Why do you feel the need that you have to have an AR 19, 15 doesn't make any sense to me. He gave me legitimate reasons in his mind as to why he thinks he needs to have one. We had an intelligent, friendly conversation about, about it. But I, what I also noticed is in between there is you had other people jumping in that weren't ready to have that. They they immediately right, and, and that's when I just insulted them and 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 told them to <laughs> shut the hell up. So that's usually what I do. So, but uh, like you know, I yeah, I I think I think there is. I think if you look at a lot of the things, you know, you talk about gun control. I think you see the large percentage of the country is in favor of common sense gun legislation. Yeah, absolutely. But the argument always gets framed as they're taking away all of our guns or it's a free for all. And there's no ever in between on those things. It's the wild west or it's communism when most NRA members will tell you that they believe in background checks and, you know, making sure that guns are put in the hands of people who ought to have guns. And I think it's difficult to have those conversations because it very quickly devolves into second amendment. I get to have a, nuclear warhead in my backyard if I want to versus you shouldn't have a slingshot and there's no kind of middle ground type of thing and it's it's it, I, I hate to exaggerate it but it's at the same time it feels like it, it becomes a, a much more base argument than it should be with much less nuance absolutely um, you know and it, it's a challenging spot for us to be in um, because we're sworn to uphold the Constitution, and the Second Amendment's part of that, and and, and that's what we're going to do. And a lot of us are, are, are gun owners, right. and would be gun owners if we didn't have to own guns. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, a lot of us see our role just in our day-to-day lives as that person that's going to step up if you have a, a King Super shooting happen mm-hmm. while we're standing in line at the grocery store. Yeah. Or we're going to we're there to help those folks uh, or our neighbors. But we also every single day see the the, the reality of irresponsible gun ownership mm-hmm. and uh, the guns being in the wrong hands. We just had a shooting today. Um, it, it was actually called in by one of our high schools, but it was involving some students and it was right out across the street from a high school. And you're talking about a bunch of young guys, you know, shooting at each other and what are they shooting each other for well one of them shot another kid you know three weeks ago yep. and i mean it's this ongoing dispute but you're talking about the middle of the day the middle of a neighborhood um in front of a school you've got bullets flying around and um a lot of uh, gun owners that i've talked to particularly when you start talking about some of the more this is my right i can buy this gun i can carry this gun you can't tell me um you know, we talk about this a lot of work when we're, I've seen people, I, I know I've pointed them out to Heather as we've been around town and you've got someone who's probably got a permit and they're open carrying on their waist, got a gun in a holster and you're, you look at it and you're like, it'd take me two seconds to get that gun away from you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I guarantee you, if we were fighting or if you decided you were going to shoot me, I'm willing to bet odds that you couldn't put one in my 10 ring from 10 feet away. Yeah. Because we don't require people to be trained. Yep. And there's not the shoot, don't shoot scenarios that we go through. Right. There's not de-escalation training that all the police are getting. Um, those things aren't there for your average uh, person who's going to be carrying a gun. Yeah. And, and that, that's something to think about. It's yeah, really it, something it, to think about. It's something I think about when um, the, and this is going a few years back, but the Aurora Colorado shooter who yep. threw smoke bombs into a movie theater and then shot up the place. And so many people were, were, you know, quick to say, Hey, well, if I were there, that wouldn't have happened. I'm like, you were going to fire indiscriminately into a dark movie theater filled with smoke. And you think you were going to make that a safer, better place to be. I, and I, those are the shoot, don't shoot scenarios that you have to, you have to train for those. Right. You, you, those are not instinctual. Um, I do recall seeing an incident down at a Texas church where a guy walked in and was going to do some, some mass killing. And he was quickly ironed yeah. out by the folks in the, in the pews. Sure. Now, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you could tell by watching that, that those, those individuals were experienced. They knew what they were doing. They were trained. Whether they got it on their, yeah. Whether they got it on their own or they got it in the military um you could tell that there was a, a level of experience there and precision that you just don't see with the average joe so but, yeah I, th I think the challenge though is that there are a lot of the average joes out there who think that they're all that and they can oh i've had them in my face right yeah. you know we've we've had these conversations i've gone to you know a lot of what i do is uh a big part of my job is also the community outreach. And it's not just with social media or our, our podcast or our radio show or talking on the news. I go out and I, I speak to groups that invite me to come and talk about what we're doing at the police department. And we've always taken the approach that, uh, you know, there's more of you than there is me between the, myself and the door. So you can ask any question you want. And we've gotten into some pretty heated conversations about just this. And, it's you can tell right away when you're talking about somebody that I, I can say I've got concerns about your ability to to accurately throw lead across the street at a problem, you know, whatever that problem may be. If your use of force is appropriate, I got really big concerns about your ability to execute that if you haven't been practicing and if you haven't been trained. And if you it, there, there's so much more that goes into it, it's it's not just the mechanical piece either it's this the psychological piece right and, right you know the, yeah your, your your mental your state of mind in that situation is a whole other piece that i don't think you know joe and jane gi you know six-pack thinks that they can handle i don't think they understand what goes into that it's well you know i mean you could talk all day long about the physiological things that happen to you when you get into a shooting i mean i if you've done any reading on it you'll you'll hear people talk about it the tunnel vision the auditory exclusion where your hearing just stops mm -hmm. um you know I, I've, I've been around officers in those moments where i'm talking to them and they tell me i didn't i don't know what you said i, I didn't hear you say that right um 
Yeah, you know. Hey, uh, Marcus Pfizer was saying how he had that happen when he had a dunk in in, in Hilton Coliseum. Like, you know, he immediately thought he went deaf for a second. Like, like just high intense, high I, yeah, adrenaline situations. Just yep. do something else to your body for sure. You know, and so you know, we've had scenarios. I'll tell you an experience that I had, um, and this was not long after. Um, we became a right to carry state, which was 2010, I think. Um, it's uh, early evening, summertime. Um, the sun's going down. I'm on a police motorcycle and I'm riding. If you're familiar with Des Moines, I'm on MLK Parkway riding east towards Fleur Drive. I was going out to Fleur or to uh, Grays Lake Park. Um, they were doing this thing called the, I think it was called the Moonlight Float or something. They open up in the middle of the night for a full moon and let people float. So popular event. I was going to go work it. And like I said, I'm on a motorcycle. I think the pork producers were in town or something like that. And I had just ridden down Court Avenue. Court Avenue is packed with, I don't want to say hillbillies, but packed with guys. In <laughs> pork producers. Just packed, packed with a bunch of pork. Just, yeah. Just I mean, a lot of guys with a lot of confidence that maybe doesn't match their skill set. <laughs> maybe yeah. And, that. Uh, but in a, in a rural flair to it and yep. God bless them. Yep. You know, I, we need I, them and they were Paul, having a great time. Paul, I'm from a town of, of 2,700 people. I know exactly everything <laughs> you're talking about. So I ride through there, they're doing their thing, and I get going down MLK Parkway, and I see a guy walking southbound across MLK, and I notice he's got a black ball cap on, he's got a black shirt, he's got black pants that look like BDU pants, kind of baggy with big pockets on the side, and as I get closer, I'm like, what's he got in his hand? And he's walking with a pistol in his hand, just like that Sasquatch image you see. And he's just walking and he's got a pistol in his hand. And I'm like, oh, my God. And there's a woman who is, was getting ready to make a turn, stopped right in the middle of the intersection. And you could she she never saw me. We asked her later. She never saw me. Mm-hmm. And um, she was hyper focused on this guy with the gun and she didn't move her car. I'm looking at him and now he turns and looks at me. I rode my motorcycle up into the grassy median and dumped it and got off and I drew down on him and I'm like, Hey man, drop that gun. And he just looked at me and smiled. And I thought, what is, I mean, this can't be happening. And I repeated it a couple different times and he just smiled, kept smiling and shaking his head. No. And I was like, I got on the radio. I called for help. Um, I thought for sure this was going to go bad. And I started moving myself around through traffic on foot so that she wasn't in between he and I, this woman was just frozen mm-hmm. and I could hear sirens coming. Um, he finally picks up on the fact that there's sirens and he kind of starts looking around and I, and he looks right back at me and I thought, man, this is going to be it. And as first police car comes screeching up, he just turns around, kind of laughs, throws the gun on the ground. And at that time we told him, Hey man, you need to get on the ground. And he just kept laughing saying, no, I don't have to do anything. So we did what we needed to do and got him in custody. And as I talked to him, all he kept saying was, it's my right. It's, I got the right to do that. I can do that. And I, my argument was, I said, I'll, you can't afford a holster. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and I, I, I said, you know what? You just crazy. Walk, yeah. I said, you just walk through court Avenue. 
after he told me what he was doing, he parked somewhere else. He lived south of MLK. Uh He didn't want to pay parking meter fees down where he lived. So he knew there was a spot where he could park for free. Been doing it for a while. And he was walking back to his place. I said, you know, if you'd walk down, I guarantee you there's a lot of guns up on Court Avenue right now after seeing what I saw. And any one of those guys could have said, oh, my God, this dude's going to do some horrible shooting and shot you. And they'd be a hero because you're not here to tell your story. And, you know, and I told him the same thing. I said, if you would have made the wrong move and, you know, forced my hand, this would you wouldn't be here to tell your story and talk about your rights. And I don't know if we ever got through to him. I don't know if we. I, I but that's 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 a good point because I feel like a lot of times uh you know it's the whole Wayne LaPierre thing of the only thing between uh a, the only thing that stops a, a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun but I think the thing that so many of those guys don't understand is no one knows who the difference between the bad guy with a gun and a good guy with a gun is sure Right. I mean, so, what, so many of these guys want to flaunt that I'm the good guy with the gun, but everyone else doesn't know that they're the good guy with the gun. They not even sure if his point was that he wanted to be the good guy with the gun. His point was, I can do this. Right. And it's like, right. can do something doesn't mean you should, should do, do them. Right. 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 Exactly. I think, yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that's a thing that, that is just gets lost is that so many people are so concerned about their what they can do. But what you can do and what you should do are two. It's like it's it's what we were talking about earlier with you, Paul, about uh, your discretion as an officer, or how you talk with your fellow officers about how they should treat the general public, right? What the law says versus what I ethically should do as a protector of the law or as a citizen of the country or whatever it is. There's a Take there's care. there's a difference, right? All right. When it comes to community caretaking, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we do that we don't want to stop doing. And that, um, you know, I, I, I've told people for years, you know, I, I think I first strapped on a uniform in 1991. And I guarantee you, I've got three kids of my own, but I probably raised as, you know, three times that many. Yeah. You know, just working in neighborhoods and getting to know families and doing what you could to help kids who maybe had that or needed that support. Sorry, Ashley Jones's dad is going absolutely berserk on TV yeah, right now. She was, was only fouled say, three times under the basket. I was going to say this is this is the worst time to have this. Uh, oh. I can do more than one thing at a time. Uh, but yeah, he's losing his mind, isn't he? Is he getting kicked out, or is he just I, no? He just stomped away. He was so upset. Uh, it was crazy. Well, I don't blame him. Yeah, she got mugged. Yeah. Oh, oh, totally. Yeah. She got she got assaulted. No. If if Paul wouldn't have had like broken up that right there, I would have been concerned about his role as a police officer. Yeah. <laughs> you saw the you saw him walk by all those cops. They're probably waiting. For the <laughs> <laughs> They're like, well, we'll let him blow for a minute here, but we're ready if they need us. Oh shoot! So uh-huh. so uh, so Heather, when you hear about Paul talk about some of these situations where he is in on a daily basis of just some jackass with a gun thinking that he should get to open carry and walk around like 
again, not that he shouldn't legally be allowed to open carry, but like he's just indiscriminately act like a jackass with a gun in public, uh, knowing that that Paul has to try to make a judgment call with maybe next to no information other than what he's observing at the time. I mean, he's putting himself into to you know a situation that a is incredibly um uh dangerous for him and his personal safety but b is also uh now putting him to a space where he now has to navigate how it's going to be interpreted by the public just because of the public eye uh how do you feel when you hear all these stories oh well I'm incredibly proud of how he handles himself in, in public and in private. I'm incredibly proud of what I feel like are decades of experience that cannot be duplicated as far as making those kind of decisions and calls when he's put on the spot. As the wife of a police officer, though, you never stop thinking about why he's putting on a bulletproof vest every time he's in uniform. Mm -hmm. And he does that literally every time he's in uniform, whether he is going to be going out to help the feds knock down doors, or if he's just gonna go talk to KCCI, because you never know, and especially with him being so visible, whether- Man, I would be really afraid to talk to KCCI. Frankly, if I were to send him to KCCI, I would be worried about that. So it's something the chief always says, and you know he, he's a great guy, and he's been probably he's been a friend of mine for over twenty years. He's a great mentor, um, and our organization's probably the best it's ever been because of him. But he's been joking since I worked for him down in when he was a major. I was his assistant down in headquarters for the operations division. He said, "I wear my vest every day because everybody I discipline carries a gun." And you just don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I mean, I'm I'm in a little bit of a fortunate spot here where I talk more about it than I am actually out there being about it. But, um, you know, we've got cops out there that they are They're They're in these spots now where they've it's the truth. You it's in the back of your head now. How is what I'm about ready to do, whether it's big or little, going to be interpreted and dissected in the court of public opinion. And um, gosh, I, I remember as a young cop, and that was before we had any of these issues and social media didn't exist. I remember someone telling me when I said, I made a comment one time, you know, about, oh man, I don't wanna get sued. And they're like, man, if I worried about that, I wouldn't come to work, you know? Cause I mean, somebody's gonna sue you and they're gonna sue you for nothing or they're gonna sue you for something. You just come out here and you do the best you can every day. Sure, but you know, yeah. Paul, I, I'll be honest. I've been I've been critical of of the police force up here in the Twin Cities over the last year, uh, not because I don't have faith in, in in their ability to protect the public, but because they've come under fire for uh, combat training, some of the the aggr- sure. aggressive training that they that they have. 
some of the ways that they've engaged the public that has been I would I would consider to be aggressive, right? And, and it's not just me that has said that. It's been a very public eye. And again, I'm asking you to to comment on a police force that you're not a part of. The Twin Cities Police Force is an entirely different thing. Uh-huh. You you don't operate under the the rules of, of the the Minneapolis Police Union and all of those. But there are some, I think maybe some some areas where there have been maybe some more aggressive than necessary things so i I, i'll admit i've been more than than contrarian about some of those things um i I would argue that that a lot of that is warranted and some of that i think i probably have been more than aggressive than i should have been about that um but there's probably some of that where you look at what is going on in other cities as well and as some of these issues go down that it's not just that you're cognizant of how the central Iowa media is going to to perceive how you acted, but knowing that you're now judged under a lens of what other police forces have also, they've kind of set the table for you to, to have to, there's a certain standard that you're going to have to live up to that is not necessarily fair for what is going on in Des Moines, but is just as the police force as a whole, right? Is, is that fair to say? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, it's, everybody's got a cop that they see or they know. Um, I, I remember years ago, you, know, you remember when the term going postal came around because there were so many workplace shootings at the post office. Yeah. I was in a training class with a, a postal inspector talking about some of this stuff. And they explained to us that at that time, I think it was like one of every 80 working Americans worked for the post office and that there was a post office within walking distance of every American's home almost. So everybody could relate to it. Well, everybody can relate to a cop. Now, yeah. whether their experiences are good or bad, it doesn't matter if a Ferguson, Missouri is happening or what happened out in North Carolina two years ago or Minneapolis or Des Moines, Iowa. Everybody can say, yeah, you know, those cops out my, outside my door, they're either good or they're bad. So you, you are kind of judged by the actions of others. Um, when you started talking a little bit about things you saw that might have been more aggressive than you thought were appropriate, um, you know, what we do there's only one way to, to get yourself in a spot where you're going to be making the right decisions in those moments. We front load our training and this is by design. You front load it to keep yourself from getting into those situations from only having one solution to get out of those situations. Mm-hmm. If the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So yes, we talk, yes. we talk a lot about, um, the de-escalation and, you know, the creative problem solving and the slowing ourselves down. Um, there's definitely a time, though, to get aggressive. Uh, and these are these are some of the more tough decisions when we talk about the, the riots that we saw this summer. Um, what happened on Court Avenue here in Des Moines is probably the best example. We were set up and ready to go uh, for hours. We knew that there was chaos brewing over there. And their decisions that we had to make were there's a bunch of people that walked into a dozen bars down there on Court Avenue um, at eight o'clock at night, have no idea what's going on right now at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. We need to give them a fair opportunity to get out of there before we go down to address 
what's happening as far as the, the damage to buildings or cars or the people just blocking the streets. You know, is right now is, is the risk to everybody else worth the reward of getting that under control um, at the level it was at. So we wanted to give everybody a chance to get out of there that wanted to get out of there. Um, you know, and, but by the time that had happened, we were probably tens of thousands of dollars into damage to those commercial businesses down there. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, you know, that's not like, that's not a target down there on Court Avenue or uh, a McDonald's. Those are the folks that live in our neighborhoods, have grown up in this town, private business owners, and that stuff hurt them. Um, and so we, we, we knew we were going to have to shoulder that, the, the why did you wait so long? Right. You know, and, and why didn't you do something sooner? And, you know, why did you go at it hard or whatever the case may be? You, you um, guys were in a no win situation with that. There, there, there was going to be criticism, whatever you did. So yeah, that's, and we, that's the unfortunate and, part of it. Right. And we kind of still are when it just comes to day to day operations, when somebody wants to be critical of how we're doing business, it, you're, you're damned if you do damned if you don't. But what you have to do is just keep yeah, it's something going on there, isn't it, Chris? Man, no way. You've just got to you got to keep making sure that you're doing the right thing, um, whether somebody's looking or not. Just keep doing the right thing. But 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 I, you also can look at situations. No, you you, you mentioned yes, <laughs> absolute terrible. Oh my oh. god, what a. What a terrible end of this game. Um, uh, uh, okay, I gotta totally, go. That, that totally derailed. <laughs> I was gonna go. Uh, I just want to wait for a couple more seconds, see if they find Ashley's dad again. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh man. Um, heartbreaking. Sorry. Yeah. No. So. So. Uh, but you so you have these situations but there are also times where you can look at the way you know you mentioned ferguson you mentioned north carolina you mentioned uh minneapolis that there are other because of your knowledge and your experience and your your uh awareness of how some of these things could go down or should have gone down or whatever in hindsight 2020 but there's somewhere where you can look at these and realize that maybe uh, these situations haven't gone perfect. So as much as you talk about, you don't expect your team to be perfect as they go out every day. Uh, you can also see situations that didn't go down perfectly. Sure. And they can be teachable examples to your team, uh, but they also have to kind of hit personally, I would imagine, right? That, that, you see these that even though you don't work side by side with those guys, you see, man, as a police officer, seeing that situation go down in that not ideal way impacts me personally. Yeah, I mean, because, well, you know, we'll talk about what happened in your town, you know, George Floyd. George Floyd should be alive. Yeah. He probably should be in jail, but he should be alive. Yeah. Um, now, when you look at that, I don't think there was a cop that I've met yet that watching that video wasn't screaming at the TV, get off his neck, move, man, move. Um, I mean, it was just which one is, of those, which is what all of us have been screaming so much, right? Yeah. And that's what, 
it depends on who you talk to. A lot of people think we were all sitting around cheering him on. And, and, you know, that's not the case. I mean, right. like, so, but when you see things like that happen, um, one thing that, that I've learned just, and I think it's some of its experience, some of it's working in the, the different roles I've had inside our building since I got off the street with um, watching video constantly evaluating and reading when I worked down at headquarters, it was constantly reading every use of force report, making sure that everything was there for, so that the boss could make his read it and make his evaluation on whether or not it was appropriate or not. Um, and that's something as simple as grabbing somebody by the shirt as they're trying to walk away from you to, you know, a fist fight or whatever it may be pepper spray. Um, we've, I'm, I'm a lot better with watching something like that, being able to recognize what the immediate issues are. But then also, before I'm going to rush to judgment, I want to hear everything that's going on. I'm only seeing one view. I don't know what's happening. I know he shouldn't have been in the position he's in, but what got him to that spot? And um, one thing that's kind of unique about us is that we're used to those, those pieces, the follow-up pieces and the investigation moving slow or slower than most people need or would like, I guess, not need, but would like. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that creates a problem, um, particularly when we're dealing with the media, because you got something out there, they're blasting out one view or one image or one witnesses, um, you know, thoughts as they sit on a street corner and watch a police shooting go down and they're screaming on the news Hey, that guy had his hands in the air and that cop shot him in the back for no reason. Um, what we find out later is no, that's, that didn't happen. Sure. But uh, one of those things we've got to do is we've got to figure out a way to slow our rush to judgment, whether it's me sitting on my front steps watching my neighbors or if it's, you know, somebody watching me do my job. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that's certainly fair. I think, I think you yeah. call that armchair quarterbacking, and yet I get basically paid to do that. I get paid to sit there and question <laughs> Frank McCaffrey's decisions all the time. Uh, no, actually, no. This is actually a really <laughs> great segue here, Heather, because literally your entire job is to do what I am doing right now, which is to, <laughs> to. Uh, ask tough questions to someone who I can easily have all the answers for. So, <laughs> so, uh, uh, Heather, you, you are regularly, I like that you said armchair quarterbacking cause that's, it's a real life thing, but yeah, you also do that with Fran McCaffrey or, uh, you know, anyone else in the central Iowa sports scene or really, you know, you've done that on, on the national sports scene as well. Um, oh, I can question the Bears all day long. Well, don't, uh, don't let's. No, I was let's, gonna say let's let's dig into this because Chris, no, we don't want to dig no, into this. No, we really need to dig into. And Andy I really Dalton's, don't. I'm, I'm going to leave the podcast. You make me talk about Chicago Bears. Andy Dalton is Mike Glennon 2.0. That's what's going on right now. They're going to send him to a draft party, and we're going to trade up. And we're going to take Mac Jones and it's going to be a whole nother shit show. 
that's what that's going to be. So your whole room shook when you slammed your hand on the on the table there, Chris. I can't. You can't dangle Russell Wilson in front of me for three weeks and then pull the curtain back and show me Andy Dalton. That's total bullshit. So that's, so, that's not cool. So so, so but that's the Chicago Bears way. So I'm not surprised. right. So, right. I know. So, so Heather, as someone who who's worked on like the national sports scene. Does it feel different to kind of come back to like local sports and like like the scope of like the way Chris reacts to the Bears? Uh, do you no. have a, a different? Believe me, people did that at ESPN too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody still had their own teams and bitched about their own teams off the air, and yeah. It's no so, different. So, so let's let's talk a little bit about your time at ESPN. How long were you there? I was only there for a couple of years. It's basically just a co- tiny little blip on the radar now in the vast scene of my life. Okay, and and, and so um, while you were there, uh, you worked with quote unquote national talents, but really they were all just local sports fans as well, right? Oh, they all had their own stories, their own alma maters, you know, their own college teams they rooted for, their own favorite sports, pro sports teams. Um, I didn't spend a ton of time hobnobbing with the people that you see on television. Sure. <laughs> How soon were you there before you realized you wanted to come back and, and it just wasn't your your thing? About a day. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay, it may not have been quite that fast, but it was speaking out for a second. Sorry. Whoa. It was pretty early on. I thought, boy, this isn't exactly like the commercial, you know, the sports center commercials that you would see. And so literally one day they were shooting a commercial near my desk. And then I'm like, okay, now today is a day where ESPN is exactly <laughs> like a commercial. There's the Syracuse was, orange. You, you there's was... a guy holding a down box marker and there's Peyton Manning in full uniform. Oh, that's funny. That oh no, I but I I still have to imagine that like it was a different perspective uh, that you still use to this day, right? That that you saw the way these guys broadcast, but it, maybe. Part of that is is you learned a lot, but also a lot of that is you learned that there's still just like local regional guys doing it in a, in a different way. Yeah, you're really not reinventing the wheel no matter where you're at. Right. <laughs> so I was more than happy to take the experience and I did get to work on a couple of longer form sports stories. Like I spent gosh, I want to say maybe a month or more working on a story about the safety of aluminum bats in college baseball that ended up ultimately making base uh, bats that are used at the college level act more like wood bats. They're not as dangerous. The exit velocity on the ball isn't as bad. And basically, my last assignment at ESPN before I left was an NCAA meeting where they changed the rules about those bats in college baseball to make them safer and debtor so you weren't getting like you know 23 to 19 final scores in the college world series so those kind of things and that kind of assignment was fulfilling to me but 
I was more than happy to get back to the DSM and get back to the Midwest. It's a little different. I'm not going to lie on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, I was just say, is there anything that you do miss about that? I miss the ocean. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I miss the seafood being more readily available and fresher. <laughs> I'll bet. It, it is funny when people complain about seafood restaurants here and like, oh, you go to Red Lobster. I'm like, we're in Minnesota. We're all landlocked. It's none of the seafood is good. I don't understand what you're looking for. Um, but, but you're in a good spot now, though, Heather. Yeah, right. You're in a good spot now. Tell, tell me about what it's like to be on the what's that like? Oh, I thought you meant like basis. right now. <laughs> well, like right now. Yeah, right now you're in a good spot. Yeah. Yeah, she's on we all love Paul, house, you know. The brand new house. I'm sitting next to you, honey. <laughs> I thought for sure, as much as you guys love the iCubs and loved downtown, I, I was shocked to hear that you guys moved out of downtown. It's a great house. Happy kids upstairs. Happy wife right here. I'm not a fan. I, I love our neighborhood. Our neighbors are awesome. It's safe. I mean, I'm, where we live, I felt it's a lot safe. safer now that a cop moved in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the what? short way is he's not a big fan of the suburbs, but there are advantages to both living downtown and the suburbs. And um, right now, I would just like to point out that I'd be happy no matter where I lived with him. Aww. And I hope he's doing the same way. <laughs> just as long as you, just as long as he has a snowblower, because that, We're that was a one. <laughs> Dude, that should be we your first. We had a snowblower that we were storing in our parents, so some of this shit's just coming right back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, it was you know living down there, Chris. It was not the the nicest part for me was I was two and a half blocks from the police station, and being on call twenty four seven, I could we have something happen. You know, I would get up, I'd walk to work in my pajamas. And go up, meet with detectives, work out of the office for a little while. If I needed to change, go home. You know, now I'm 20 minutes away. So it's this whole production. (laughs) (laughs) Really, what I would like to think is that's going to make him think harder about does he really need to be there? (laughs) Or can this be handled from home? No. So so that's a really good question, Heather, honestly. So, you know, Chris let off this this whole thing talking about you know he's he's uh re, stuck a in my dungeon of a basement guy. i'm i'm a divorced guy uh you know i i i lived in minneapolis moved out to the suburbs with my ex-wife i'm back in in, in minneapolis in proper uh and you know realizing what are the things that are really kind of important uh, that you, you know, what do you really want out of life? Um, but man, there is something nice it just about being close to things in the city. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you say that like, hey, Paul. Guess what I'm gonna do? <laughs> I'm gonna. I don't. I'm gonna walk for maybe three blocks, and guess what? I'm gonna hit three bars. Yeah, you know, exactly. All right there. I don't miss conversation now. 
I don't miss uh I don't miss the traffic. Uh, when I, I, I live in Norwalk, so whenever I go into Des Moines, I instantly can't stand it. I'm, I am legit the guy on those commercials where they say, don't be your parents. I am legit that, that entire genre of, oh, oh, yeah. no, of no, commercials, no, no. every no, part no. of it. I, no. I'm annoyed by traffic. I can't stand it. I don't want to drive anywhere on the south side. <laughs> Be away from the southeast 14th because that thing is just ridiculous. I hate every part of it. it. I do, however, it. miss my office downtown in my, in my downtown office and making that drive and, and having the days during downtown where I could walk to a restaurant or wherever during lunch or whatever. So I, I do miss that. Absolutely. Go ahead. We're, it's, we're doing a podcast thing. They can't see you. <laughs> but whoever that is, if you want to tell a funny story about your, about your dad, you're, you're welcome to tell a funny story. He's it's, a great cut. Yeah. He's a great cut. Yeah. We're aware. We're aware. Yeah. I, I'm aware. I tried to recreate, I tried to recreate the guns picture with a casserole. And my wife told me to knock it off. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, so Heather, I did want to ask you. So I, I I live in the Twin Cities, but I've been up here for uh, 18, 19 years or whatever. But I did start off in central Iowa. Uh, I worked in Des Moines when you were starting off your career in, 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 in Des Moines. You've been, uh, I guess, on and off and on again, a, a staple of Des Moines uh, sports media for what twenty five years now? How long has it been? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably, probably I was like, more. so I remember you from before I left, and I still keep in contact. Obviously, you know, Chris and I do all this podcast, and I still, you know, uh, keep in touch with KXNO and and still. You know, the Miller and Condon podcast and all that stuff. I still follow along with a lot of these guys. Um, but you've been a staple for a long time. Uh, what do you feel is kind of the the legacy that you're leaving on Des Moines? Ooh. Oh, God. That's a good one. A legacy on Des Moines. <laughs> um, first of all, I... It is hard for me to sit there and, and think about how long I've been on the air now. I well, I no, I apologize. I wasn't trying to. No, no, make no. You're feel right, old. though. <laughs> but I, I no, would, but I do remember you from before I left, and I've been away for a while. So I, I'm I'm grateful to be able to to kind of close that circle. <laughs> well, and I guess as far as a, a legacy, I just hope that I've kept everyone entertained and informed and made a difference in their day, no matter how big or small it might've been. I'll, I'll tell you a story, um, Heather, I probably, I would say, uh, it's gotta be four or five years ago. Um, I was listening to you guys on KXNO and my daughter, Caitlin was on, uh, was listening and she, uh, remarked, how much she thought it was super cool that, that there was a woman talking sports just as much as men. And I had sent you a message about that. Um, just basically saying how much my daughter loves sports and is a huge and Cubs bears fan. 
and that how much she admires the fact that you're on the radio and talking about sports and that makes her feel better. That was, I just found the message. That was uh, six years ago. I sent you that message. Oh, wow. And you said, go Caitlin, tell her thanks for listening. So I don't know if that means anything other than the fact that you have one girl out there that, that at least admired and, and, and saw what you were doing and it, and that opened a lot of doors for people. So, and that should be a testament for what you saw last year when you guys lost your jobs. Cause I, I legit, I, I, I vaguely remember tweeting out, I'm not fucking listening to Mike and Golik. And I can't, that other station that was on there was absolutely were I couldn't, I couldn't listen for five minutes before I had to turn it off. It was so terrible. And I literally for a week did not know what I was going to do. That makes two of you. <laughs> right. Paul was like, holy shit. She's going to be around an awful lot more now. What am I going to do? It was, that's a good news, bad news scenario. We all knew pretty quickly that maybe they were already rethinking it. So I wasn't in agony quite as long as maybe you were. But uh, right. of course, that hearing uh, a story like your daughter just looking up and thinking that it's cool that a woman's talking about sports, that means the world to me. What happened a little over a year ago with, you know, so many listeners and advertisers saying, hey, wait a minute, this isn't what we signed up for we want our local people that meant the world to me and to us and it just kind of you know it's one thing when you're a part of a team like KXNO and you you kind of think to yourself is and especially as you know you might bring a few people into the fold like Sipker is in the fold and um 5-0 obviously yeah. was brought into the fold Bruno is part of it too mm-hmm. you know but it's so you kind of that- Shipley and Johnson are going to be brought into the fold right. very soon. We're waiting exactly. for our yeah, we're waiting for our turn to be on the Cyclone uh, Sound Off show, and we can just co-host that with you. That's we'll, what we're we'll finagling for. Yeah, we'll talk later. But uh, you know, you you can sit there and think, oh, this is you know really cool. These people are fun to be around. I I can only hope that the people listening are having half as much fun as us. And but you might sit there and think, maybe I'm just too close to the situation, and then to have what happened happened and then you realize that it's not just literally the people that we think we're bringing into the fold like paul or bruno or you know some of our closer or advertisers that have become closer friends but that literally all of you felt like you were in the fold and you were just as pissed off as as we were about what happened well now, granted, my previous relationship with a radio host didn't exactly go too great, so the bar was set pretty low. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I will say, throughout the the last few years, you know, I think I I, I won a chance to play golf with Sean at, at, at the last Tack Fest. Um, I've gotten to meet Ross a couple times and Chris, and the interaction that I've had with you and Paul. Um, those things, it it's more of a personal relationship for me. It is. And I've enjoyed that. So that was when you guys lost your job, not only did I lose my entertainment, but friends of mine that I considered friends uh, were hurt and that, and I didn't like that. So. Well, that's kind of how we feel about our listeners too. You know, like when we hear a story about you or like you got something bad going on, we feel for you. We want to help you. You you know, even the good stuff, you know, as we watch it, I, I don't know about it. Her, she's probably creeping on you too, but I watch you on Facebook a lot with, you know, your 
it's something going on. No, I just wanted that. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> you know, you're what well, she was pointing. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, you, you feel you get excited about your successes also. You know, and I don't know if it's a big deal. I don't know if anybody notices, but I always want to hit that thumbs up button, you know, on the Facebook early in the morning so that people know I'm watching. Yeah. Yeah. No. Unfortunately, he doesn't realize that when people realize the police are watching, it's not. I'm kidding. (laughs) Listen, uh, the last interaction, the last two interactions I had with with police officers, it was a 50-50 situation. One of them, I ended up in the backseat of a cop car in West Des Moines when I was about 420 pounds and the guy put the cuffs on me. my own fault. I said F you to the cop, and I probably yeah, shouldn't have said we, that. We still have to do and, this podcast, and, Chris. The, and the, the guy, and I, yeah. all I remember is, is he walked me over to the car, and I said, I don't think I'll fit back there. And he said, oh, you'll fit. <laughs> and I realized that that was probably a mistake. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, this is, this is a teaser to apparently another well, that was uh, old well. That was the night that my mom also got arrested. I think by the same officer. We were yeah, exactly. at the West Des Moines yes. house. That that we were at a West Des Moines house. There was a family member there that was, you know, not making the right choices, and my mom was trying to get that person, and she was disturbing the pace. So they arrested my mom. Well, of course, then my dad and I got in the car and went over to that house, and then I mouthed off to the cop, which again. Should not have done. I'm not advocating that so, I should have done that. So, so I got to the I got to the West Des Moines Police Station, and I remember the guy asking me a bunch of questions, and he said, "Where's your nearest relative?" And I said, "I think she's around the corner because my mom's in jail here too." <laughs> yeah, so, so because no, I saw her shoes sitting right there. So, so. Apparently, apparently, the new old man strength uh, intro is going to be just bad boys, bad boys. Right. right. And then, of course, the one time I got pulled over for going a minimum of 80 on I-235 and the very nice officer pulled me over and asked me for my license and registration. And then I as he was back in his car, I was praying to God that I would not get a ticket. And all of a sudden he came up and knocked on my window and said, hey, it's your lucky day. Car across the street, caught on fire. Slow it down. <laughs> And he had to go help that guy across the street. And I thought, God loves me. And I don't know what that guy across the street just did, but man, he is some serious trouble. So, Chris, well, you know what people Chris, those are my two. Just from you, listening to the radio, instead of praying that a car catches on fire, they've actually tried to drop my husband's name. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I'll try that. But, I know who I am. I listen yeah, to KXNO no, occasionally. No. <laughs> right. Can you, just, can you just get Paul on the phone? For me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try that in Minneapolis and see how that works. Uh, I I don't think that's gonna work out well, but but it, it, eh, it depends where you're at. <laughs> I know a few guys up there. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because I think it was one of the legitimately one of the last cars I stopped. Um, and I, I mean, you got to be. I've got the equipment, but you know, I don't have the resources to deal with if. I don't have a computer in my car if I need to write a ticket or whatever the case may be. But um, the last car that I stopped because a guy was driving like a maniac on the freeway. As soon as I got up to the window, he started dropping Heather's name. (laughs) And he was trying to get, was he trying to get his mom back to the, she, she lived in a residential facility and he was on a deadline to get his mom back. And he started, he said he met Heather at, He's a KGGO listener, met her at some remote. 
and like she's gonna remember from 15 years ago that you know he wanted to drop her name on the side of the freeway i was like not only that but if, you know you've already you know admitted that you're driving like a maniac with your frail mom in the car that's got to get back to the right. home right well from what i gather all i have to do really is just drop sean's name and then we'll be good yeah yeah or sup Sup. Hey, author. Sup. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, usually the way we end these is with a little bit of um, fatherly advice, whatever, parental advice. But what I think I'd like to do is just kind of end it. COVID is was kind of I mean, it, it it was scary at the very beginning and so on. And I think we're starting to get back. Why don't each of you just tell us what's the one thing that you're most looking forward to when we get kind of back on track and then we'll, we'll wrap it up tonight. Going out with my wife. I, I don't, I mean, we're both real social people and we can sit here and talk to you like this all night long and hang out in front of the fire. But, um, you know, when memories started popping up on Facebook, like the night before everything shut down, we were, uh, my cousin's the tap room manager at Lua Brewing downtown. Nice. Oh, okay. And, uh, we, there's pictures of us at Lua. I mean, that was the last thing we did. The place is packed and we're hanging out with, um, uh, what's his Hawk from Norwalk. Yeah, Hawk from I, I, Norwalk I, oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's not from that, Norwalk anymore. He moved. Yeah, he did. I know. He did. Yeah. Dude, I just learned something new. But no, I, I'm a, I'm well, a I'm a I'm a professional brewer by trade. So yeah. Oh, all right. So and you know, like for me, man, I've for ten years I've worked one my favorite off duty job at the I Cubs. You know, and I always tell Sam Burnaby, the general manager, in there, I work for free. I want to get back in that baseball stadium and just. You know, I'll direct traffic all day long just so I can watch the people watch baseball and watch the games and get to know the players. Like it's that's what I'm looking forward to is, you know, those types of things. And he stole my answer because, yes, <laughs> I just want to be able to go places with my husband again, whether it's a baseball game or a patio that's packed. Heck, we were looking at pictures of Casserole Carnival. Yeah, I was just going to say, Chris, yeah. we got a, the Casserole Carnival. That was like a potential super spreader event, especially if, you know, Travis had Travis. just come back from New Orleans or something. We so, could have literally been like ground zero for COVID well, in central Iowa. Yeah, when you were on that, were you when you were on TV last week and they had showed pictures of the Casserole Carnival, I started getting text messages from my friends. They're like, hey. You know, you were, your picture was on TV because they had showed a crowd picture and me and my yeah. friend Tim were standing right there. And I was like, well, you know, I, I'm everywhere. What can I say? So, you know, yeah. you know, we were raising money for the Guardian projects where that, yeah. the money went. And I, I remember he was obviously a little more in tune than the rest of us because he walks in and he's like, man, this is great, man. A ton of people, man. This is awesome. This is, this is better than I imagined. He's like, but you guys are all like coronavirus be damned, aren't you? And I was like, what are you talking of coronavirus, man? Get out of here. <laughs> I remember when it first started and Travis was talking about they had closed Italy and whatever. And he was like, it's so stupid. I can't believe they're doing it. It's so stupid. Well, it's just crazy. Well, and here we are. those all sound like wonderful things. 
So I, I hope to join you guys. We would love to. Yeah, you're definitely going to be there. You're definitely going to be there. I'll Drag bring. Your, I'll uh, bring my wife. I'll bring the better half. Yeah, That's what Drag your little buddy from Minneapolis too. Yeah, he, yeah. He if he works. ever comes out of state, I don't. I can't remember the last time we're trying to get him down here for an Iowa State game. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> oh yeah, man. If I ever felt safe to leave the state, I, I swear to God. No. Well, I'll tell you what. I we have a we have a bus lined up. <laughs> if they allow tailgating and everything else, we have a bus lined up. Uh, my buddy Tim, his Ragbri bus. Iowa State game. So. Yeah, you guys well, need a ride to the Iowa State oh game. Boy. Well, yeah, and, and so we'll be on the and, bus. And so what? What Chris and I have learned here very recently is, uh, all of his neighbors are friends of mine. Like literally, everyone he knows in his neighborhood is a very good friend. T- of mine. Tim and I had never met until we joined <laughs> this this website. Turns out that a very good friend of his goes to church with me. He knows a uh, somebody that went to high school with him is my neighbor two doors down. And one of my best friends from high school was his neighbor in Minneapolis for a while. So I don't, I don't know what that means, but yeah, basically, you know, this, all, all of our friends are friends. We should be in missing persons because we know everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this neighborhood we just moved into, I'm like, I don't know anybody, but sure as hell, Heather's old satellite truck driver from Channel 13 lives down the street. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> well, uh, Paul. Heather, I, thank you so much for joining us. I really hope that you are game to join us again. I, I, I think it would be great to talk to you guys again. Uh, oh, yeah. You're, anytime you need it, you just holler at us. I sure. I, I, I say thank you for the enthusiasm, Paul, and the, the modest nod there, Heather. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's getting, it's getting late. Heather's got to get up. <laughs> no. Yeah, what time is it? Yeah, no, no, I think it's great. Thank you guys very much for joining us. We have really, really appreciated talking to you guys. Uh, thank you for letting us be frank and honest. And you know, that's the best way to do it. Best no, way to do it. I, I really, absolutely, I really appreciate your your transparency and and good conversation. I think conversation that a lot of people need to have in general, but it's good for us to have it. I think that's. The whole point of this podcast, really, Chris, uh, is just that we're just trying to be honest, sincere people, right? And, and learn what we can learn and... And, and bring know. the rhetoric down. Yeah. Bring right. the rhetoric down and, and try to see other people's point of, points of view and, and bring pre- people together. So yeah, no, we're, we're, we are very grateful. So thank you. Check out all of our podcasts from culture check to bitter units to drunk dialing to we're not that drunk to, I don't even know what else we have. We have a lot of great content, a lot of great <laughs> writing about Chris. We're ta- what are we writing about everything? I don't know. I, I, we wrote an article the other day about the new coach for Iowa state before they hired him. I picked Jeff Hornacek. I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was, no, I, don't get me wrong. I, I couldn't have been more wrong. I would love Save that for next time. I, I, there I you still, go. I still have a Hornacek rookie card, so uh, that's just me. Heather and Paul, anything else you want to plug? We're good. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen to her show. Keep pays the bills, man. Listen to it. <laughs> Morning, right. Well, well, that sounds fantastic. 
So once again, this has been Old Man Strength, and we will see you next time. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen buddy murder until someone understands That it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women I make this noise just because I can And we'll all join in To that original sin